Welcome to Running With Problems. I'm Miranda Williamson. And I'm John Eisen. This is a running podcast about challenges, relationships, advice, and the drama that often comes with running clubs. Yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode. This is uh, an excellent episode with an interview with our friend Chelsea Lawson, who has a powerful story of injury and recovery. It's very cool. Yeah, I won't give anything away, so um, we'll let you live in suspense, but this is definitely one of my favorite episodes. Definitely mine so far. Chelsea's one of my favorite people. She's really amazing. She's um, an incredible athlete and just such an interesting person with so much ability to um, look inward and review herself. It's very obvious that she does a lot of self-work and that makes her very interesting to talk to. She's also a really great runner, obviously dealing with this big injury in her life, but you know, she recently ran her first ultra and just crushing it out there. And, you know, we're all really excited to see what she can do, you know, as she recovers uh, and where she'll be. Absolutely. Um, But before we get into the episode and dive into our conversation with Chelsea, I'd love to check in with you. How are you doing, gorgeous? Oh, I'm injured. (laughs) A little bit after the race a week and a half ago, I have been experiencing some foot pain after walking um, after seeing my PT, we decided to just take a couple weeks off before going into some orthopedists. I don't think it's that bad. I think what I have is probably something like a stress reaction, although I'm self-diagnosing here, so who knows. But uh, just a little bit of pain in the foot after triggered by walking or running. So I'm taking a f- few weeks off and uh, I'm not running and I'm trying not to go insane. And how does that feel, taking a few weeks off? Oh, it's hard to deal with. You were riding the high for a minute. Yeah, I felt felt on top of the world. I was signing up for another hundred. I was <laughs> doing all the things, and now and now I'm I have like maybe the end of my season looming, which isn't so bad. Like I mean, this year, I've been training pretty much since December. I've had three really really good events. Um, so if my season ended today, I wouldn't be so upset take some time off and uh, come back stronger next time. So I don't know. We'll just see how my body reacts. I'm not putting too much pressure on myself. Um, If I get to do the CT crossing, I get to do the CT crossing. But if not, that's okay. Um, And yeah, we'll see where it goes. Right now, I'm just taking a couple weeks off. Okay. How are you? I'm doing good. So I'm I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone a little bit. Oh, yes. Miranda is leading the happy hour run tonight. (laughs) I am leading in John's place and um, kind of pressured, but if anyone knows me... Definitely pressured. Yeah. If anyone knows me, I'm I'm pretty bad with peer pressure, but I also, um, I don't ever do anything that is going to build resentment. I would say that so. you're really good with peer pressure <laughs> in that you always say yes. Ah, uh, yes. I, but <laughs> I never say yes if it's something I'm going to later resent. I only say yes if I feel like it's just pushing me a little bit outside of my comfort zone and it's healthy for me. Mm. And so I said yes to being pushed to lead some HHR runs. And as you all know from our last episode, I am very uncomfortable with navigation. 
And that is the only thing about this that is making me uncomfortable. I am not uncomfortable with being a leader in, or in a leadership role. I'm not uncomfortable being a follower either, but I am extremely uncomfortable navigating complex trail systems. And Boulder has complex trail systems aplenty. Yes. <laughs> but I think you're going to do great. Uh, if you take everyone on an extra loop, I don't, I don't think they'll mind. <laughs> so, um, yeah, wish me luck in this endeavor starting tonight. Yes. Good luck. I'm very excited for you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to this episode. Yeah. Without further ado, Chelsea Lawson. All right. We are joined here by our good friend, Chelsea Lawson. John wants us to say folks' last names now. It's important to him. Yes, it is. <laughs> so welcome, Chelsea. We know Chelsea from the Breakfast Club, the bre- running trail running breakfast club. Um, we've known her now for what, two years? Yes. Two years. Yes. Yeah, so welcome, Chelsea. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> so Chelsea, tell us a little bit about yourself as a runner. Well, um, I have been running most of my adult life. I have, when I was younger and in high school, I played basketball and soccer. And then when I went to college and then decided you know, to go out into the adult world and be an adult. I wanted to find a way to find community and connect with others. And I was still very active. And so running became a natural next step for my fitness and my community. Ah, what community, run communities are you a part of currently? Well, mostly part of the Breakfast Club. Yeah, it's a but, good one. Yeah, it's a great one. And then prior to that, before I moved to Colorado, I was part of the Cape Cod Running Club. Which is how I kind of fell in love with long distance running. Because had you asked me before I joined this group, I would have told you I would never run a marathon. And here we are with many other miles behind my back. You're an ultra runner. What are some events that you've completed? Well, I completed the Valkyrie 50K. And then... And that's that's a women only... 50k yeah so exciting and exclusive it was exclusive and exciting i don't think i would do it again because i missed the competition that men provide Mm -hmm. like that testosterone can't be replaced (laughs) it can't can't. exactly and i love beating boys as i talked about in my last in our last race report (laughs) yes the feminist in me very much enjoys passing a lot of guys yeah so i missed that but i also enjoy being passed yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've run a lot of unofficial races, but not... Oh, I've done uh, Imogene, which is not an ultra run, but the it's... Colorado pronunciation nerd over here says that it's Imogene. Imogene. It's good to know that there's a distinction there. Mm-hmm. Yes. I always wonder how to say it, because Colorado has a lot of different ways of saying things, like Buena Vista is... Buena Vista? It's Buena Vista. I know. Buena Vista. It sounds awful. Or, or just for short, Buena. Yeah. Or Guanella Pass. Guanella Pass. Right? Guanella. Isn't it Guanella, but it's Well, Guanella would be the official pronunciation. Correct. Right. Oh, no. I know. You can't trust what Coloradans 
how Coloradans pronounce well, words. Most of these words come from are like the like Ute tribe words, and then they were translated by either like French speaking people or English speaking people. And so you get different spellings. Mm-hmm. Like the Sawatch Mountain Range is technically the same word as Sawatch, the town, except that word is spelled Saguach because it was translated by French people. Anyway, I don't really know this for sure. I'm just pretty oh, sure. No. I like it. It's a we'll good fact explanation. We'll fact check it later, and yeah. then we'll all have learned something about Colorado. Yeah, well, do we have a fact check section, don't we? No. Mm. It was no. added in. <laughs> and Chelsea, this is a podcast about running and relationships. You have a husband. I do. Does he run? He runs a little bit, yes. He's more of a mountain biker. So he will run with me occasionally. One time he did a half marathon with me for my birthday. But he typically likes five to six Was months. that like a gift for you? Oh, for sure it was. He, <laughs> he loved the mountains and wanted to do the things that we get to do and see uh-huh. the things we get to see because really you have to work to see the beauty that we get to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And he has always been envious of the pictures. And so I, was, I invited him on, I don't know, my 30th or 31st birthday. And we went into Crested Butte and we did this, I think it was called... I can't remember the name of the trail. I'll have to tell you guys later. But anyways, we did a 13.1 mile run. And Ooh. by the end of it, he was like, I love you, but never again. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you a runner before you and him got together? Yes. Okay, yeah. so he knew going into it. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. the one of the first conversations we had was, I'm very independent. And I like to run. And I'm, almost, I'm gone all day Saturday will this be a problem? And he's pretty independent and an introvert, so he loves that time to uh, himself. So it works out well. But it was a conversation we had very early in our relationship. I think that's pretty good. I think a yeah. lot of people, you know, encounter the same problem of, you know, I'm gone all day Saturday. And uh, it's important to find somebody who can fill that time themselves. Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, mm-hmm. my partner is that. That's great. So lucky yeah absolutely and what are your current running goals do you have any current running goals my running goals are to get back to fitness and I don't know what that means right now because Mm -hmm. of some health issues that I'm sure we'll get into yeah feel free to go into that for our listeners Chelsea had some really incredible and major health setbacks and is making a really miraculous comeback. I would suggest let's start at the beginning. Yeah, okay. we'll start at the beginning. Well, it's hard to know what the beginning is, but we'll start when things became very clear. Last year in 2022, the summer of 2022, I got COVID the end of June. And I was training for a 50 miler called Run Rabbit. I had, in fact, encouraged the entire Breakfast Club to join. And I think there were like 20 there were a lot of people, yeah. Five out. people for our doing listeners, it. Chelsea's kind of a, she's popular in the group. I'm she's, a rallier. She's a rallier. <laughs> she's popular. And she's also always up there with the strong runners in all of our Saturday runs. She was, you know, ahead. Thanks. Um, so I had convinced a bunch of people to do this run with me. It was going to be my first 50 miler. And so I was in the midst of training when I got COVID. And upon my recovery, I just was having issues and I noted my heart rate was super high when I was sitting on the couch my 
for perspective, my average heart rate when I was sitting was like 35. It was a typical athlete's heart. It was very low. That's that's absurdly low. Yeah. yeah. And then um, if I was moving around, it'd be like 55, but my heart rate was like 120, 130. And so I thought that my watch was broken. So I bought another watch <laughs> because I was like, oh, it's time for an upgrade anyways. So I bought a new watch. The same problems were happening. Um, I was noting I had challenges running with the running group. I couldn't keep up with the, the pace that I used to have. And I was just fatigued. By the way, the pace Chelsea used to have was like running circles around the group. She would like run out ahead and then she'd oh, run literally, back. Literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so I called my doctor because I had a, a bunch of different symptoms and they told me to go to the emergency room. I ignored that advice because I don't know. At the time, I was like, there's just no way there's not anything wrong with me. That's absurd advice. I also work for a pediatric heart institute, and I know that the common advice when you have COVID is to go to the emergency room, and I just thought, I know this is not heart-related because I see it every day. Mm. And so I ignored said advice, and then... So you thought you had long COVID? I thought I had long COVID, or I was just, I just needed to rest more, because of course I ignored the 10-day, like, I researched, and I don't know why I research things if I don't plan to abide by what the research tells me but I did oh, we all do it <laughs> yeah so I did some research about uh COVID and when you can begin exercising again and it said 10 time 10 days post symptoms and I was like well I could have symptoms for weeks so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop running for just a cough you know so I continued running very too soon I thought too soon after COVID mm. so I gave myself more of a rest and it was at that time um, my husband and I went to Crested Butte for, uh, a, for a weekend away because we both got COVID. Our summer plans changed. We weren't able to travel. So we just went mm-hmm. into the mountains where we weren't around anybody and it was wonderful Perfect. and we rested, but I had a heart attack then. Um, I was, we were hiking this very easy hike mm-hmm. and I started a blackout and got very dizzy. I sat down. Jeff asked if I was okay, my husband, and I didn't feel okay, but I didn't want him to know because we were in the middle of nowhere, and I thought that I was just having altitude sickness because we were at, I don't know, 11,000 feet of elevation gain, Mm -hmm. which in retrospect makes no sense because I could run at that level at that time. So it didn't make any sense, but I realized that as I reflect that denial is a coping strategy that isn't necessarily adaptive to health in certain circumstances anyways well it's you know there's a lot of times when you feel like assuming that you you have something is assuming the worst and you know we generally speaking we're wrong when we do that right so we we sort of teach ourselves not to assume the worst and, you know, we might think it, but then we're like, ah, it's probably not it. It's probably not it. It's probably something lesser because it almost always is. But in that rare case, that it isn't the worst or it is the worst thing that we can think of. Um, I guess it, it'll take anybody by surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, we turned back, which scared my husband because I never turn back. Right. I'm stubborn and I will finish. There's a trend here in my personality, which is stubbornness, but... Which you'll see. But anyways, I didn't. He was concerned because I said I wanted to turn back, 
And so we did. And I, so that was the first, we think the first heart attack. The second one happened probably a week later when I was on running with the breakfast club. So n- right. did nothing. Did nothing. Okay. There's, a, again, a high level of denial. <laughs> I just uh, <laughs> I just passed out at eleven thousand feet because it's eleven thousand feet, yep. and I need to rest. Yeah. Okay. And then so we went for a run uh, with the Breakfast Club, and at the I was really struggling with that run. I don't think we, you weren't there yet because uh, the last heart attack, both of you were present. Uh, um, but the that the second heart attack I had presumably. Uh, it was, I really struggled running and my heart rate was crazy and I just felt bone tired. And for women out there, we our heart attacks present differently. We have jaw pain, like really intense left jaw pain. Our arms can go numb. They just present differently. So um, my heart rate ended up spiking to 220 and oh. I experienced pretty severe chest pain. So I stopped running and then it immediately, and I walked the rest of the run, which thankfully was like a quarter of a mile. And, but the chest pain went immediately away after I stopped running. So I didn't connect that to my heart. I just figured, I don't know what I thought. Obviously it was wrong, but anyways, I, but I remember not drinking coffee because coffee gets my heart rate going. And I was like, probably shouldn't test that. Yeah. So. Wow. Yep. Then the third and final heart attack was the last, another run with a running group. I felt horrible. In fact, I was talking to John and Miranda about having mm-hmm. to have a different concept of fitness and and identity as it relates. This was a wild basin run, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have a picture from this run, and it's like on our, it's on the scroll on the TV, and I I remember like. Yeah, that was the that was the last run before Chelsea got sick. Yeah. But I look at that and I I have the same picture, and it's also on my TV screen oh. for um, just when it's idling, and I think of our conversation and that that was my last run. Yeah, I I remember yeah. you talking about long COVID. I remember you talking about how that like you were just gonna kind of sit with where you were at like and 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 try to accept it yeah there was no talk of a heart thing nope but boy was it actually quite a serendipitous conversation given what i was about to experience because i thought of that conversation over and over again and i still think of that conversation i reference back to it as i regain my fitness because i want to be grateful and only grateful to be back and exercising because I'm so lucky to be alive. Yeah. And my ego is still back there in the back <laughs> of my mind being like, you know what? You could do this much faster than you can do it now. Uh, All right. So we have gotten to the point where you are ready to see a doctor. You will. Yeah, almost. almost. <laughs> so that night, uh, my husband and I picked out <laughs> an ice cream. Oh, the dog in the background again. I do apologize for Summit's behavior. <laughs> um, but we picked up a pizza and ice cream. I had two beers, and then we went to bed. I woke up in the middle of the night with severe chest pain. Like, it woke me up. 
Mm. And I actually looked up signs of a heart attack. And I was like, if it lasts more than 30 seconds. And I was like, okay, it lasted about 20. And I went back oh. to bed. Um, <laughs> the next morning I woke up and I was like, wow, I still feel like I'm in a lot of pain. I'm having a hard time breathing. And my husband's like, I would like to go to the emergency room. And I, was, and I had had an experience because I've had ongoing heart issues since probably 17 or 18 years old. And I went to see a doctor in my early 30s because I was having symptoms. And the doctor told me that it, I was experiencing a trauma response from some something he read in my chart, my medical chart of like early childhood trauma. And that I wasn't experiencing heart issues and it was in my head. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I felt so dismissed and hurt by that that I was distrusting of going to the emergency room. I was like, I'm just going to get dismissed. I don't trust that I will be cared for or that they're going to do the tests that are going to actually And you work in a hospital. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? That is the irony of this whole situation. I work in in the field that I don't trust to some extent. And my goal is to help people bridge that trust and cultivate and create trust. But that's another... It's a whole yeah, other topic. Whole other topic. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think I think there is a trust issue with the with the American hospital system. Mm-hmm. Um, especially there is signs well, of like for women, women and women of color. That, yeah. Yeah. Particularly and marginalized communities. Uh-huh. Yep. I, that's a, and that's one thing I kept thinking is that if my skin color had been different, I am Caucasian. I just I I would like to believe that anyone would receive the treatment that I did eventually, but I don't know that that to be true. Mm-hmm. And wow. evidence does not demonstrate that. Yeah. So how was your first ER visit? So, well, my friend, Breeze Butler, shout out. Uh, she's an RN. We've been friends for well, years. I just met her. Yeah, you did. Yeah. She's fabulous. She's an, R, uh, an RN. My husband wanted me to go to the emergency room. I refused. He was like, let's call Breeze because... She's an expert in this field. She will at least have some insight. We called her and she was like, you need to go to the emergency room. You could be doing, you could be causing ischemic damage to your heart. And this is very bad. And I fought her a a little bit. And eventually she was like, she just kept saying the words ischemic damage, which is permanent damage to your heart. And I just couldn't, that language just couldn't leave my brain. And my husband at one point said, I would rather, could we had just purchased a house? We didn't have a lot of savings. He was like, I'd rather lose a house. I'd rather lose everything knowing that you're safe. Like, I don't care about the money because that was my big hang up is we were going to meet our out of pocket max, which was significant. And he was like, I don't care. I, he's like, I want them to say nothing's wrong. And we spend a ton of money for them to tell us that you're okay. Yeah. So that's eventually what convinced me to go. And we're at the, the hospital and my friend called the hospital. My nurse friend had actually called the ED and said, Hey, my friend's coming in. I think she's having a cardiac event and please, these are the things that I'm concerned about. I didn't know that she did that. Uh, but she also happened to work at the hospital that we were going to. So she knew the people again. I am, as the story goes along, I'm very lucky Mm -hmm. to have the people in my corner that I do because the outcome would have been very different. So anyways, we go to the hospital. I tell them about the cardiac events. They do an EKG. 
and they noticed noted that I had um, inverted EKG, meaning that my T waves were inverted. That and that often indicates that there's been a, a cardiac event. So then they took me in the back and they're they're asking me questions, and they told me that I was going to be seen immediately, and that's when I got nervous. I brought a book mm. and I you know I, I brought a bunch of things to like hang yeah. out in the waiting room and they had a whole medical team in the back and that's when I started to get nervous that something was wrong yeah what did that moment feel like well I got nervous and then I said in my head they do this anytime somebody says they have a heart issue uh you dismissed it i dismissed it again there's a trend here Mm -hmm. (laughs) interesting so anyways we went to the emergency room they noted that my troponin levels were elevated troponin levels are really an enzyme that leaks from the heart that indicates stress to the heart and your levels kind of depend on your body because if you have comorbidities or you have say you are taller or you weigh more, you're going to put more stress on your heart and so your troponin levels may be higher. But essentially, they, they, the new science about troponin levels, which is, I think is within the next, the, the last couple of years, but if you, have 20, if you go into the hospital and your troponin levels are 20% higher than when, they, when you came in, they, mm-hmm. they count that as a heart attack. Oh, wow. So anyways... The, the thing to think about is 100-miler runners will have troponin leaks from their heart. Sometimes when, if you did, if you did like a blood test on a 100-miler just finishing a race, they will have elevated troponin levels. They would, it would be indicative of a heart indicative attack. Indicative of a heart attack. That yeah. Is, yeah. So. I mean, there's a lot of interesting chemical behaviors of 100-miler runners yep. that I've read, but um, yeah, those are very interesting studies. So they noted that I had elevated troponin levels. They, but you hadn't just run 100 miles. And I hadn't just run 100 <laughs> miles, which is a good clarifying clear. question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they noted that. Because I had just had COVID, they thought I had um, acute myocarditis, which is um, like an infection of the heart that happens when you get a virus of any sort. Anybody can get it, and it can lead to heart failure. And... But thankfully, that was not my... Had I continued to abuse my body through running, I probably could have gotten to that place. But thankfully, I have good people in my corner who forced me to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what they initially thought was happening. They did um, a CT scan with contrast, which means they put some a dye in your bloodstream to open up the veins and really demonstrate a lot of like they, it's a clearer picture of what's going on mm-hmm. and that technician noted that I had actually an anomalous right coronary artery with an interarterial course between the pulmonary vein and the heart muscle yep ACA for short anomalous right coronary artery or uh, anomalous coronary artery okay it's pretty rare and most people can live through it they don't even it's uh. It's not something that people find. The challenge is that the the course that my heart took to get to the all the right arteries and parts of my body, it went through the pulmonary vein and the heart muscle. So anytime I'd exercise, they'd contract and squeeze that artery. And so essentially, your heart was squeezing an artery, preventing blood flow. 
my lungs and my heart were squeezing the artery, preventing mm. blood flow. Ah. Yeah. And so I had done, at some point in those heart attacks, I had done probably the last one. I had 70% restriction of blood flow at baseline, like at, at rest. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then they did a bunch of different other procedures. They did a cardiac catheterization and they... Is this all happening that same day? This, that week. So that the week. first week of August. So let's, uh, let's take a step back. We're running with problems here. Yeah. What did it feel like to think about having a ACA that was restricting your heart so much before you had any answers on solutions? And how did it, did it make you feel, I mean, I guess, were you, did you feel like you were never going to run again? I was very afraid of that. And I see at work the breadth of possibilities from, from complete recovery to death. And so I can't, I had no idea what my outcome would be. And the, the language was mostly hopeful, the way doctors are. You know, they don't ever sure. speak in absolutes, but they were hopeful of a full recovery. But during the period, of, so from the first week of August probably to the last day of August, so the 31st, we were in, a, in an exploratory stage of understanding what was happening with my body. Initially, they wanted me to have open heart surgery the first week of August mm-hmm. because they discovered this anomalous coronary artery and they said, okay, we need to, we need to go ahead and, and fix this because of the risk. But then because again, I work at a pediatric cardi- cardiology program and I work with cardiac pediatric, pediatric surgeons who are also cardiac surgeons. They work with congenital heart disease all the time and they, they, I, I reached out to a couple of people that I knew at the hospital and I mm-hmm. explained what was going on and they asked me to pump the bricks on that surgery. They said, adult cardio- cardiologists do not know how to do these very specific and very unique surgeries, but the doctors at our hospital do. Because most congenital heart surgery is on children or pediatric care? Yes, and because the because my heart's anatomy is different. So they're used to working with different anatomies of the heart. And so, whereas adult cardiologists know how to do bypasses, the actual structure of the heart is the same in everybody. But with congenital heart most disease... Most people. Yeah, right, most people. But in a, if you have a congenital heart disease, the anatomy is different. And so the surgeon that did my surgery had done... I mean, he does like... 10 a month of my surgery versus the surgeon who was going to do my surgery had done six and not of a very similar type of surgery, but not the specific one. Oh, that's a vast difference. Totally. I want the one that does 10 a month. Yeah, absolutely. So they also wanted to get some more information. So we paused on the surgery in early August and then I needed to wait until the swelling of my heart went down because they, they, they noted that, yes, I have this anomalous coronary artery, but I also have, my heart is very angry because of experiencing also acute my, myocarditis. 
So then we had a waiting yeah. period. And during that period, you had to keep your heart rate really low. Wow. I hated every moment of that. <laughs> I just was like, I just want to, I want my legs to hurt. I want to be like burning. Like, you know what I mean? Like I just, I, I, the lungs burning. I wanted all of the endorphins from exercise. Yeah. Like, oh, have it. That sounds like my worst nightmare. I had to learn new skills. What was that like? What part of that did you dislike? Did you like any of it? I would say that I appreciated learning more about the way I cope because ah. I couldn't hide behind running. Right. Clearly, I had an attachment and maybe an addiction to running that superseded my coping because I didn't need, I thought, oh, I'm running, I'm coping. And, and to some, ah. de- some degree, that's true. Right. But that coping is gone and I was left bereft of my normal techniques. And so I realized I was kind of an angry person and that I also am not as compassionate and nice, you know, and that's not like, I just had to find different ways of accessing that. I would never have labeled you any of those words. I know. Right. I was a little sad to discover that I'm not the bubbly, happy person that I want people to see. That you project. That I project for sure. So I got very good at meditating. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I have a very distinct. Amazing. Yeah, I have a very distinct memory of being so angry, and I was like, "This is stupid. I can't believe I have to do this. This is dumb." And I was like, "I would run right now, but I can't." I was feeling very bad for myself, <laughs> and my husband, who is just the most patient, kind man, was just—he's like, "I think you just need a moment to yourself," you know. And I was like, "No." <laughs> I want to fight. Fight me. <laughs> Not physically, but, you know, I was itching well, to argue. Well, because you couldn't get your heart rate up. Yeah. Yeah. So I went into the my our bedroom. I turned, I opened the window, and I, and I had the fan blowing on my face because I'm a social worker, so I know techniques to, like, de-escalate other people. So I was like, I'm going to use the skills that I tell people to do at the hospital all the time. And I started to deep breathe, and I just kept breathing, and... Uh, doing a lot of self-compassion. Like, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be mad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay that you're not happy. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know what happened. I just started to feel better through being in that moment of self-compassion. And then, Perfect. yeah, it was great. So it, I, yeah. it forced you, like not running, forced you to confront the things that you use running to ignore. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people say running is my therapy, and I think that is just the worst thing oh, to say yeah, ever. I hate, that. I hate this one because uh, you know what therapy is? Therapy. Real therapy is therapy. Um, running is a great way to pump a bunch of endorphins and make yourself feel better, make yourself feel like you did something so that the demons in your head don't pop up. Yeah. And if you take a moment to actually inspect what's behind that, I mean, most people find something they don't want to see. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you did. I sure did. Got to meet the uh, shadow side of myself, so to speak. Ah, and then so you. I like able... to call that part of myself my villain. I like that. Yeah. I like. I might steal that. You can steal that. You can take that. <laughs> Anybody can take that. The villain inside of us. Yeah. But so that's interesting that you were able to employ these mechanisms, these coping mechanisms that you uh, had. You had them in your your tool belt already. Very rusty, but yes. (laughs) You were able to use them and learn some new coping mechanisms that might work for you. Yeah. Yeah. So 
you were eventually able to get surgery yes. from from somebody who does a lot of these kinds of surgeries. Yep, my and colleague. How did that go? Yeah, my. I don't know if he'd be comfortable with me saying, but yeah, that my one of my colleagues did the surgery. I, I was so lucky; I got to pick the surgeon who did my surgery, and and it was I was very resistant to having the surgery at my place of employment because. It's just a really vulnerable place to be. I wasn't sure how I would present on, on drugs. Like I knew I'd be heavily medicated. Would I be combative and unkind? I, my my team that I work very closely with is they're gonna see me at my most vulnerable, and I just felt deeply uncomfortable about that. However, that was the safest place to do the surgery. I also know the quality of work of my team. I don't trust anybody as much as I trust my medical team. I they are amazing, amazing professionals and great doctors so it wasn't that I didn't trust their care it was that I didn't want to be vulnerable yeah so this is another challenge you're having to face yeah. in this extremely difficult time and now you have to go be vulnerable in front of the people that you you work with on a daily basis yeah. and they got to see me naked <laughs> which is not my favorite thing in the world but no. you know they're professionals so and I'm yeah. so and I have been continually impressed about how you are able to tap into what what you're feeling in that moment. Yeah. You were you were feeling vulnerable to be exposed in that way in your workplace, and you're able to express it rather than just having those feelings and not understanding them and hiding them. And then just being angry. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there it's a cycle, right? I definitely yeah. had moments where I was those things. Where my, if you talk about the polyvagal theory of our our response to trauma and challenge, right? Like sometimes our body takes over and we have, you know, if your frontal cortex is operating appropriately and there's no nothing dysregulating that, then you can operate together with your parasympathetic nervous system and all these other... Um, so if you're calm and you're thinking straight... You do the thing that yeah. you expect to do. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so I think with this process, I have had to connect with all parts of my being, like the fight, flight, or freeze, and trying to understand where that is happening and manifesting my body. Because I not, didn't always know. Well, I knew I was, I, why I was mad. The thing I loved was gone. Yeah. You know, I, I, I will never forget the ED doctor telling me, so you can't drink right now. I was like, okay. Cool. No, no big deal. No big deal. And she's like, and you cannot run for until this is figured out. And like, I burst into tears. And she's like, that's an unusual response. <laughs> she's like, most people are really sad about the alcohol, but but running is your thing. Okay. I mean that right there. That's that's everything, right? Yeah. So yeah. And so you had the surgery, and now you're back to running. Yeah. How long was that recovery? So. From August to end of November, I couldn't exercise at all, so I kept my heart rate below 100. And then from the end of November until second week of January, I was given permission to run. And that's where Miranda got to watch me. Yeah. We, <laughs> Forget all of the things that we were just talking about. Chelsea <laughs> went out hot. She was, I'm back to running. And we went on a 14-mile run together. I think together. it was 16. 16, 16. I didn't even remember. And um, by the end of it, 
Chelsea was having trouble walking. <laughs> yep. Miranda had to walk me down the trail. <laughs> she, yep. Chelsea was like, in this moment, she's like, just go ahead. Just go. Just go. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's just not the person I am. Yeah. yeah no, great. no one long run is more important than being here for a friend. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, don't leave your friends who just had heart surgery alone on the trail. <laughs> I think that's a reasonably good. I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to remember that while my brain was ready to run, my body needed time to work itself up. So I'm I have this like training fitness plan that I call um, training for fitness, and so I'm slowly getting back to to running. I love it. How's it feel now? So good. I mean, I am. So Monday I did my first thirteener with. One of our Boulder trail running friends. I oh, which saw one did you do? That. We did Square Top. Oh, Square Top's great. It was from from Winella. Yes, indeed. Um, and it was five miles up, and it was like four thousand feet of elevation. And Liz is like beep bopping around, and I, uh, I am huffing and puffing behind her. But I was like, I'm only going to be grateful about this. This is the stuff I lived for. This is the stuff I was dreaming about doing. I so. I love those moments where it's hard and you just try to remember and you're like, I enjoy this. Yeah. Like, I do this for fun. I actually pay people so I can do this at times. Like, like just remember, this is a hobby. This is fun. Yep. You know, even when it's really hard. And how does it, like, uh, you know, how how has your view of running changed? I mean, it has to have changed, right? Oh, it has, yeah. My relationship to running is that I do it for joy and for connection with the people that I love. This group mm-hmm. is the breakfast club is an, an, an immensely important part of my community and the people that I have met have sustained me in a way that I just didn't know was possible to show up for, for somebody. And this group has done that. And, and so in my head, I was just like, when I return, my return will be community focused and gratitude to my body, regardless of what that looks like. I had to, I have to know that my body may never perform the way it did. And that's okay because I don't, running doesn't mean being the fastest person anymore. It's not about performance. I mean, obviously I would like to be able to do big things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I want to be able to have big adventures with friends. Challenge and adventure are still a core part of why you like running. Oh yeah. I love the, the mental fortitude that it requires and I think it actually served me in the heart surgery like I woke up the next woke up the next day someone's like how do you feel I was like kind of like I ran a marathon you know like a road marathon it's not the yeah I was like I think anybody in our group would have I feel like crawling in a fetal position on asphalt so yeah, yeah exactly yeah I was like I have I've literally pulled from that strength before yeah I've been like in a situation that was highly uncomfortable to me and been like I've run a marathon before. I can get through five minutes of this very, really annoying situation. I have yes. that thought constantly, but replace marathon with, you know, 100 miler. You, know. <laughs> oh, yeah. you just outdid us. Yeah, yeah, you did. You one up yeah. us. Rude. <laughs> well, um, I think 
We have a question I'd love us to tackle. Well, sure. To give some I want to keep talking about this. Okay. Okay. Is that okay? Yes. All right. Um, well, first of all, so my family has a history of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, That's which, a big one. which is a big one. It's a, so that is abbreviated HCM and it is, is essentially a, from what I understand, now I don't work in cardiology. Um, from what I understand, it's an enlargement of the central heart wall, which can create smaller, um, uh, what do you call the areas of the heart? Not sure, but oh, it doesn't matter. It has four things. Has four area four. The chambers. Chambers. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah. the word. Has so it creates smaller chambers and therefore, like a like a and like if you get your heart rate up, it can cause a cardiac event because of um I don't know some stuff that I was told at some point and I don't understand. But so I go I go to the heart doctor every few years to get checked up, and luckily I have never. Um, been detected with it but my brother and um, my father and my grandmother they all had it and and it's something that's very scary because I think that well as far as I know it's one of the biggest killers of like just runners it's very dangerous yeah so like having HCM and running is just totally a Mm no-no basically so it's it's extremely scary for me to even like make a cardiology appointment just because I know that at some point like there's a chance Mm -hmm. that like that comes back with no running. Um, I don't know. Do, is there anything you would tell people about like get checked early or, or like, like what, you know, I don't know. I feel like these, these heart things are just super scary. Um, and I would hope that people take you know, take what happened to you and, and think, okay, that was, there was a few too many heart attacks before I went to the <laughs> ER. Um, and I certainly know like the, the, the fear of having a congenital heart defect, but at the end of the day, running's not worth your life. Yeah. I think, I'm not sure this, well, I have a couple of thoughts. The first thought I have is that I thought my identity was running, you know, or very closely related to that. And I think we do this as a society around our jobs and the value that our jobs bring. And, and those things are part of me, but they're not the whole of me. And, and so while I, I share your fear, I had, because of some things that happened on my 13 year, I had to call my cardiologist and I waited till today because I was like, I would like to hold off and getting any kind of negative news. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, absolutely. And I have to remind myself that, like you said, it's not worth my life and that the people I have to trust that the people who are in because check back my value systems are based on community and I value social connection above pretty much everything else and so that will exist whether it's running or whether it's sitting on a patio and you both I mean you had a a party here so that I could hang out with people even though we weren't running like people showed up in ways that reassured me that my identity despite changing because it doesn't fit this one thing would shift and accommodate this new phase of life and so I guess when fear when you're facing that fear of a change in your identity know that one you're resilient and you you will re redetermine what that looks like and it'll reshape itself in a way that can find meaning not that it won't be painful but it is possible 
And then for the fear of, or in my case, the disbelief that something could be happening because I don't fit this pre-existing concept of what illness looks like. I think trust your gut and trust the people. If you can't trust your gut, because I, I, when it relates to my own health, I am very much in denial. So I have my go-to people, Mm -hmm. my husband and my friend Breeze. Like those people are my gut checks. And so using those, those resources and, and knowing, knowing what those resources are and using them so that you can be here longer in this life. Yeah. Is like, really important. like be aware, you know, what happened to you is not normal right. and some level you do have to ask questions. Yeah. Well, along those lines, I have a question for yeah. us. So two questions, actually. One is like, you used some strategies while you were injured to cope with the demons that came out and the things that you had to do. So I guess my question was, do you have some advice for what to do when you get injured? And then the partner question is, do you, and Miranda actually did a lot of things for you, which I think are really great. And I would like to talk about. And so the, the other question is, you know, what can you do for your friends who are experiencing injury? And, you know, how can you still include them in the community? So we'll start with like, you know, uh, ways to cope with being injured. Yeah. That was literally our question today from our... our oh, well, there you so go. So we won't even read his question because <laughs> we've got it. Um, but I think I can... I'll start with the piece about what do you do for your friends who are injured and then let um, Chelsea go from there, which... I just did what I would want done for me. That's the literally the only thing I did, which was was uh, organized a walk back when you couldn't get your heart rate above one hundred. Yep. So I was like, okay, let's all come on a walk with Chelsea, and then um, a gathering, a dinner at the house. Um, lots of other people did amazing things like a food train and a GoFundMe to support. There were a lot of, lo- there was a lot of community support for Chelsea. And I will say that Chelsea also showed up still to be a part of the community, like showed up to the trailhead to like see us off on a run, um, masked and just saying hi to everyone. So there was just this part of the community that was like, okay, let's just, let's just show up. We just have to figure out different ways because yeah. it's not going to always be a run anymore. It has to be something different, like yeah. a walk. I think it was only two miles that we could, we had to like keep it very restricted too. Yep. We had to like two miles <laughs> yes. under, under a hundred heart rate. <laughs> Having to stop and be like, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then I think we did a hike too that you could get a little, your heart rate could go a little higher. I was on medication, so I couldn't oh, get them higher. My, okay. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just, it was just showing up in different ways and I just thought about what I would want in that situation. Yeah. Well, it meant a lot. I mean, more than I can possibly articulate this. I, I remember this feeling of like complete and utter love. And I was like, I just, I want everybody to experience this, but I don't want to let it go either. You know what I mean? And not that yeah. it's either or, but I just, I felt so humbled. I, I, I don't have words for what I felt because it was just such an enormous support and 
Yeah, I don't have words. I, I need to think about what I want to say. Sorry. That's okay. I'll fill, fill some of the space. And I, um, one thing that I was super impressed by as well during this time is that, and I thought about this as well because I had a, I had a friend with terminal cancer that I talked about in one episode. And showing up for her was easy. And that was the same thing for you. Because every time we would show up, it's not like you made the entire the entire event or time about your illness or where you were at in your life. You were always taking time to be like, and so what's going on with you, Miranda? Or what how are things with blah blah blah? How's that how'd that race go? You were always remembering what was going on in people's lives and checking in with them. So showing up for you wasn't a chore. It was a choice and a pleasure. It sounds like you like realize, well, that you know that uh, community is such a huge part of why you, you know, why you love running. And so if you couldn't run, you could at least be a part of that community. Right. Absolutely. And that helped. I, at least somewhat, I'm sure. It helped a lot. When, uh, you know, I, as part of my job, I research a lot about coping and complex grief and, and typical grief. And the, one of the biggest protective factors for complex grief is your community and oh. your access to that community. And I am confident that I've been able to... People attribute my recovery to my own like grit and will and, and that's that's part of it but the greater part of it is this community and the people in my life yeah. and the care I got at the hospital and my husband who is you know we went through a transition where he took care of me and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm out again on Saturdays <laughs> and he's like oh I kind of miss this old this dynamic where we used to hang out a lot you know now and he just stepped aside knowing that this is really important yeah. and we had to you know redefine our relationship again and, and having all these people willing to invest in that time and I, it, I am here because of the people that are around me. And, I, and you built that. You invested in those relationships and you built that. Yeah. So, they make were it there. Easy. <laughs> so you, they were there for you when yeah. you needed it yeah. because you invested the time and energy into well, those relationships. You. Yeah, well, thank you. So, yeah. This is a great episode. This is a great episode. I think we can wrap it there. Yeah. Unless anyone has any final words. I just want to thank you, Chelsea, for telling your story. Um, I think it's super powerful, and I'm glad you were able to tell it in its entirety, or at least so far. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I was totally thrilled and humbled and then immediately nervous about this, (laughs) so I really appreciate you spending the time with me and helping me feel comfortable you make this easy. So, appreciate it. Great. Well, we'll be signing off. Signing off. Thanks for listening. Mm